All right, good morning, uh, everybody. That was uh, powerful. I appreciate you guys engaging and singing. Um, and it's just been great. I mean, I have a, a spot, but you guys don't, so I'm in the front, so I know it sounds a little different than in the back, because I hear those of you who are choosing to sing, I hear you, uh, come up, you know, sing this way. But it's just been noticeable. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how many weeks or months, but... Um, together as a body, our engagement in worship through singing. And so I know that means that some of us, like myself, who don't have good voices at all, have to get out of our comfort zone to actually sing. Um, but man, I'm just grateful that uh, all of you, many of you, are willing to do that and to take that step. And it's remarkable. Um, so thank you for that. That was a great time. And I'll be honest, I kind of wanted us to just keep singing a little longer. <laughs> but... That would get confusing, I guess. I don't know. So anyway, uh, so thank you guys for that. That was great. It's really, really, really encouraging to see, for at least for me, what God's doing in our body. And that, in so many ways, is because of two things, because of God and because of you. Um, but yesterday, you know, what we try to do here at Calvary Church, and I say it all the time because I do hope one day, if anybody ever comes in and asks you, hey, what's the vision of Calvary Church? I, I just like, please let them say it, please, right? The vision, what we're trying to do, we rolled this out in the fall, we built it out over the uh, last summer, whatever, is, um, <clears throat> man, we want to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact other people with God's love and truth. Build a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact other people with God's love and truth. And yesterday was an amazing day of some things in our body, and they were things that I got to just participate in as a normal dude instead of the guy running it. And so there were 20 or so couples uh, in that room the, yesterday morning, the moms of preschoolers ministry and 20-plus uh, husbands that decided to jump in and take a chance to come into a room decorated with pink and flowers that looked great. And it was just an amazing time of a bunch of couples uh, <clears throat> who were raising young kids, getting to be together and connect as a body and just fellowship and laugh and hang out and then have some encouragement from some folks about seasons of life and marriage. And so uh, that was a wonderful thing. And then after that, I got to go for a little bit before I was a pastor nerd who went to bed early to a hockey game with a bunch of you dudes, man. And it was manly. We chewed tobacco. No, we didn't. Uh, but we did get to watch some hockey. There was even a fight, kind of a fight, kind of a lame fight, but it was a little bit of a, but man, just an amazing time together. There's a bunch of guys hanging out at a hockey game and credit goes to the folks who are running men's night. And the great thing about what we got to do is that a bunch of you participated in environments to get to know each other better, but those environments were run by a bunch of lay leaders who actually had great joy and happiness in using their gifts to serve in certain ways to serve you and to help build our body. And so thank you to those of you who participated. Thank you to those who used your gifts to lead it out. And I know there's tons of you participating in so many different environments throughout the week. And so we're grateful and grateful to you who use your gifts to help build um, the body. And we have an opportunity for some of you to use your gifts coming up in our Easter. One of the things that our kind of our uh, worship team, we got three folks who are kind of part-time worship leaders. Luke's one of them, Emmanuel, and then Amy Wolf uh, Dominguez. And um, one of the things that they're trying to do is these periodic ensembles, right? Just mixing it up. And so Easter, we're going to have an ensemble, a collection, a splattering, a smattering of a certain number of people who have musical gifts to sing a song as we celebrate the resurrection. And so we're going to announce more information in a week or two, but 
wanted to just let you know that. That does not mean that if you're a horrible singer, you should take this week to get voice lessons, right? If you're a horrible singer, you should enjoy those people who are good singers as they minister to you. <clears throat> but if you're a good singer, right? And that's not just because your mom told you you're a good singer. It's like, because maybe somebody else besides your mom told you that. If you're a good singer, we'll give you more information about signing up um, for that, okay? So want to build a body, ways to do that. Of disciples, we're going to, there's information in your bulletin about the discipleship classes that are relaunching. Uh, restarting, and you can read about that next week. But we're going to keep the parenting class ongoing, and then we're going to hit rewind on the prayer class and the Jonah class, and so it gives folks an opportunity to switch to take those, because, and that's just what we decided was most useful and helpful for this season. So you can read all about that um, to help grow as disciples. And thank you for all you did to make and help make an impact to the diapers. We've been collecting diapers to partner with Hopeline Ministry. This is the last week for that. But thank you for your amazing, generous contribution to help a bunch of moms and dads who are trying to keep the lights on and pay bills and provide tangible evidences of grace and love. Uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus to them. So thank you. There's information in your bulletin, and I really do encourage you to do the bulletin, um, to read it. Because let me just tell you, right now, uh, this has already taken me, I don't know how long, but too long of me talking about this stuff. Um, and so I don't have to take this long every week if you read the bulletin. We do want to keep you informed, so I can't cover everything. But we do have an opportunity in the bulletin for another way for us to impact our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, is doing some work to try to provide aid and support and resources to folks in Turkey and Syria. And so if you would like to learn about ways you can contribute to that relief efforts through our denomination, uh, there's information in the bulletin about where you can find more about how, if that is a particular need that you would like to try to make an impact on, that you can do that. Uh, so a couple of things to point out, a couple of celebrations. One more other thing. So this may actually shock you, especially if you know me. We do kind of try to keep an eye on what's going on here, right? Some of you are like, those guys don't know what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing, but a bunch of our, we, our team knows what they're doing. I right? get to work with amazing people. We know two things, three things. We know that this room is getting a little crowded. You can't tell it, to, well, you can tell it today, and especially when it's not a vacation weekend, we're starting to max out in here. We know the parking lot is crowded. Um, that's maxed out. And we know that because of what we've done to create space in here to cram you in, the sight lines are really, really bad for some of you. You're like, I'd love to read the Bible verse, but I can't see it. Unfortunately, the only thing I can see is Peter, but I can't see anything else on the screen because of where I'm sitting. So we are watching all of that. So we're trying to figure out creative ways to make sure you have a place to park. We're going to invite you in the coming weeks uh, as overflow to park in the commuter lot. We're actively considering that, the man, I think, we think it's probably time to launch another service, and we're trying to be creative on when that is, okay? Uh, uh, so just stay tuned for coming attractions on that, and we're working to maybe think about more effective ways to help everybody see throughout the room. This is a good thing. It was, I know, I'm long. Y'all aren't going to get to your discipleship class. It's like 10.50 this morning, so... <laughs> What can I do? Uh, this, is, um, <clears throat> this is a good thing, and here's why. Because when it, COVID, it was me and Dave Katz. Nothing in here except like this was a warehouse with a bunch of junk. That was depressing. Then we relaunched from COVID, and you know what? Those hallways, nobody was in those hallways, and it was depressing. And now when things switch and rotate, man, there are kids running around. There is joy. There is laughter. This is a great, great thing. And so we want to steward the growth God's doing here in an amazing way. So we're, we're watching it. We want to make sure you have a place to sit and park. And so 
All of that's there. You did not come to hear me give announcements. You came to worship as a body, to encourage each other as a body, and to hear God's word. And so that's what we're going to move into now. Um, and then we'll celebrate communion at the end of our time uh, together. So let me pray. <clears throat> Father, everything that is happening here is a credit to your grace and your kindness. Um, and for a hundred plus years, a hundred years and several decades, God, you have sustained us in <clears throat> this church. You have changed lives. You have helped kids catch a heart for you and serve you. You've resurrected and redeemed marriages, and you have done a work in this church through decades for over a century. And in your grace, you're doing a work still here. And so I am thankful to you for that. You get the glory and the praise for that. I pray that as we are enjoying the work that you are doing and celebrating it and relishing in it, that you will also protect us because we know that there is an enemy opposed to the gospel and to Jesus who does not want to see lives changed and people impacted by grace and will do what he can to try to disrupt that. And I pray against division, Father, in our body. I pray um, against anything that will mar what you are doing here and that you will keep us united for your glory. Please keep us from becoming inwardly focused and just celebrating ourselves. Keep us for a heart for those who aren't here who still need hope. Um, and help us now <clears throat> as we open up Revelation and you've revealed things to us about yourself and the future that it will be helpful to us. And so we're grateful, Father. We're expectant about what you have. And we pray this in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, every day, <clears throat> whether you know it or not, you and I, we interact with people or with organizations making promises to us. Every day, you and I interact with things, people, organizations that are making promises to us. BMW promises to be what? The ultimate driving machine. My Toyota 4Runner is the ultimate driving machine. It's like a drive in a car and a chiropractic adjustment all in one. <laughs> Plus a little bit of like taking your life in your own hands if the axle breaks again or a frame. It's amazing, right? BMW promises to be the ultimate driving machine. I don't know if you know this, but McDonald's, you know, their little slogan, I'm loving it or it changes. But McDonald's actually as a corporation has a brand promise that they want to make. McDonald's brand promise is that they want to promise the consumer to provide simple, easy enjoyment to every customer visit. Nationwide promises to be on your side. Many of you in this room have made promises to each other. You came to the front of a church and there was a preacher type in front of you and you looked your spouse in the eyes and you held hands and you promised to be their loving and faithful spouse in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, so long as you both shall live, every day we make promises, we receive promises. Promises are all around us, and promises can be really, really uh, powerful thing. A promise can be something that you can anchor to and you can ground upon, but a promise and the power of that promise and the confidence in that promise is linked with the person making that promise. The power of a promise 
and the confidence we can have in that promise is inextricably linked with the person who actually makes that promise. If the person is trustworthy, and if the person actually has the ability to deliver upon that promise and to keep that promise, then that promise can bring comfort. It can bring hope. It can bring peace and encouragement to us. A promise can be a powerful, powerful thing, but the power of the promise is directly linked to the person who is making that promise. And today, what you and I get to do in our time together is to spend some time thinking about God's promises and the God who promised. God's promises and the God who promised. Last week, we kicked off uh, part one. This is a part two sermon, thinking about this. And we were in Revelation uh, chapter 7, which will be again today, and we spent some time setting up last week where these readers are, and these readers who are hearing this for the first time were in this place where they were facing all sorts of unknowns in the future, um, <clears throat> uncertainties, bad news in the future. Specifically, they were hearing about this period in Revelation described as the tribulation, and we're taking this, we're going through the book of Revelation. If it's your first week here, man, welcome to the excitement. Next week's going to get even more exciting, but we're in this book of Revelation. We're seven chapters in. We're taking a futurist view, saying that this looks ahead to things that are to come, and these readers had just had this opportunity to hear a lot in the few chapters hearing about, man, what's going to come when this period called the tribulation hits the earth? And they've heard about different things that were going to come, and it was going to be bad in the period when God's wrath is poured out on the earth because God is trying to fix everything. And as we've talked about, when you're in the process of fixing things, you have to deal with the things that are broken. And there's brokenness in the world, and there's brokenness in people because of sin, and God is finally dealing with that to address it, to get rid of it, so that then he can fully redeem things at the end of time. And so part of that process is just judgment on sin um, during this period called the tribulation. And these readers had heard about this, and there's this verse in Revelation 6.17 that sets up chapter 7, and there's people who are on the earth experiencing that wrath of God. And this question that those people are asking is, man, who can stand? There's going to be people on the earth who are not shielded from the wrath of God, who are experiencing that. And as all of that is crumbling around them, what they're asking rhetorically is, this is too much. Who can stand? And what we said is some of that concern and that fear and that worry may have been creeping into the Christian readers. And they might have started to ask themselves, okay, are we going to be able to stand? And in chapter 7, God is a loving father, is called a timeout in the book of Revelation. And he's leaning over these original readers, and he's like, look, I know you're worried. I know you're scared. I know you may be freaking out, but let, let's just pause and let me remind you of some things. Let me encourage you of some things. As you're asking this question, as you're starting to wonder, am I going to be able to stand? This is what God's doing. He's reminding them of things, and he's reminding them of things and saying, look, you will be able to stand. You will not be affected by my wrath because I've already promised you that. In chapter 7, the first part, we talked about God's taking them back to this past promise. And in Revelation 3.10, we spent a few weeks talking about this promise and what it means. And there was, if you were here, there was the confetti all over, a Tupperware dealio, because, but this is what God says. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming in the whole world. Most scholars think that specifically this is drilling into, I'm going to keep you from the hour when my wrath 
is poured out. I'm going to keep you from my wrath that comes during the tribulation. That promise we looked at that week is in other places. First Thessalonians has this promise that says that you should wait for Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. In the first part of chapter 7 of Revelation, what God's doing is saying, look, I, I want to remind you of the promise that I've made to protect you. You're worried about what's going to happen to you. You're worried about how my wrath may impact you. I want to cause you to rest and remember the promise that I've already made to protect you. And then we spend time talking about one thing God did to further that promise and to act upon that promise, which was this ideal of he's actually sealed Christians as one act in furtherance of that promise. And, and here's where we ended last week with these encouragements, these takeaways, these practical things, that what we saw from that is that God cares about what we are feeling, and God wants to encourage and comfort us. This morning, you're, you have a heavenly Father who is good, and your heavenly Father knows every bit of sadness that you're thinking about, everything that's causing you anxiety, every unknown about your life, everything that may be not what you want it to be, and he cares about what you're feeling, and he wants to encourage you. Then we saw that the way that he worked last week is to encourage them was he caused them to remember what he promised. And then he caused them to remember what he had already done for them in their life. And the encouragement for us was to remember what God has guaranteed or promised and remember what he has already done for us in our life. Last week's text, part one, was an invitation for them and for us to look back to the promises that God has already made to us and to try to get some encouragement from that. Look back to the promise that God has already made. Well, this week, what God's doing is he is taking the Apple TV remote, and he is using that amazing thumb thing, and he is fast-forwarding. And what, just like that, that was God fast-forwarding on an Apple TV remote. You won't hear that in any other church. That's just, he's fast-forwarding to the future, and he's saying, I took you to the past, but now I'm going to to the very end of the movie so that you see whether the hero lives or dies. And he's now going to say, now I'm going to fast forward to the future and give you a glimpse of what life will look like when my promise to you is finally and completely fulfilled. God says, I'm going to take you back to my past promises. And today what we're going to see is God fast forwarding to the future when his promise to his people is finally and is fully fulfilled. Here's a diagram of where the readers are, where you and I are. We can look back to encouragement for God's past promises that he's made. And this morning, God's going to say, but look, you can't, don't just look there. Look ahead to what the promises will be like when they are fulfilled in the future. And from the structure of chapter 7 and the approach of chapter 7, we see this first point kind of today, this first big point about what God does. God, in their life and in my life and in your life, encourages us by reminding us of what he has promised and by assuring us that what he has promised he will do. God in your story and in my story and in their story encourages us by reminding us of what he has promised us, but then assuring us that what he has promised he will actually do. And so today... 
next week, next month, next year, when the ground underneath you gets a little shaky, this afternoon when you have to make some decisions that you're unsure about, tomorrow when that phone call comes that you weren't expecting, whatever moment comes in our lives that causes us, ugh, here's the application, one thing for us to go to in that moment. Remember God's promises and know that God keeps his promises. So simple, so simple, but sometimes it's the simplest things that we need to cling to to give us the strongest hope and confidence when the storms of life come. And when the storm of life comes for you, maybe the only thing you will have to crumble upon is this application to remember God's promises and to remember that God keeps his promises. And today we're going to get a fast forward to what life will be like when people fully experience the promise of God. We're going to see that in part two of our sermons on Revelation chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 9 through 17. Uh, Next week's chapter 8, and next week we're going to go back to trumpets and seals and all sorts of future things. But today is nine, uh, verse 9 uh, through verse 17 of chapter 7. And we're going to see four observations about God's promises. Four observations about God's promises. Let me just read it to you. After this, <clears throat> I looked and I behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know, a little Socratic method there. If anybody's ever been to law school, you're starting to twitch right now, because this is the way questions are asked, not just in heaven, but in law school, right? And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night at his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's this scene in heaven of this multitude of people, multitude of people. And and there's something really interesting mentioned specifically about this group. Verse 9 tells us about what it is. After this, I looked and beheld a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages. The text is clear. You don't need me to explain any Greek to you. It's this picture of people from every nation, every culture, every ethnicity, every people group, every country gathered together in unity in heaven in the presence of God. It envisions a moment 
It envisions a group that crosses every racial division and every ethnic dividing line that they may have ever experienced when they lived on earth. And from that, from this group that's experiencing this promise of God, we see this amazing first observation about the promises of God, that God's promises in love know no national barriers. God's promises, God's love knows no national barriers. It's this amazing picture of God's heart for the future. When there is no brokenness, there is no division, there is no hate, there is no prejudice, there is no racism, there's this beautiful unity among all people that he has created, all of whom have equal value, and that value is being recognized. An amazing, amazing picture of God's heart for the future where there's unity and his love is being experienced and known by all people. But, but you know what? God's dream for that experience, God's dream for people of every nation and every culture and every race and ethnicity and every people group to know him, to worship him, to experience him, to benefit from his promises, that's not just God's dream for the future, that's God's heart for the present. It's not just God's dream for a future day, it's God's heart for this present day. That his love will be known everywhere, that his promises will be trusted everywhere. It's a priority that God wants to be about now. And if that's right, when Jesus left the earth, he didn't just say, hey, y'all just stay here in Jerusalem with people who look just like you. He could have said that. You know, he said, go into all the world, all the world. Because God's heart is not just for one place and one people, it's for all people. And if that is what God is about, then you know what? I need to do a whole lot better job being about that myself. And if that's what God is about, then that is what he wants his people to be about. You and me about that. And, and, and today, right, there is an easy step that you can make, that we can make together um, <clears throat> to learn about people around the world that God loves and about his work around the world to all sorts of people from all sorts of regions. Uh, in the coffee area, where an amazing group of people every week get here early to brew you coffee, there's a wall that has a map on it. And on that wall, on that map of it, you're going to see pinpoints with every missionary, every partner that we support around the world who are actively doing the work of God around the world to all sorts of people in all sorts of places and all sorts of nations and cultures. Over 13% of our budget goes to serve God's work around the world to cross barriers and cross cultures and show his love and his impact. And there are so many resources there. If you're like... Man, if you can barely think outside of your own life and world, there's an easy way for you to take a step this morning to learn more about God's work around the world and beyond just our lives because there is all sorts of meaningful, meaningful information, some of which is now on the floor, <clears throat> about what you and your stewardship have a role in. There's this booklet that tells you each of our ministry partners and ways that you can pray about them. Each week or each different period of time, there's one, not week, but different periods. There's one partner that is 
highlighted, their work, their story, their call, their challenges. This is John and Valerie Brown. Several of you in this room have gone with me on trips to Brazil to serve John and Valerie Brown. If you read CNN.com, there was actually a story this week because there's an exhibit in the city about the Yanomami people who they work with. Right? I mean, this is so amazing that there's this big national cultural awareness of the nights of these people. And for years, we've been partnering with people there who are trying to love them and care for them. And you can learn about that and you can pray about that. We have started and we've partnered because of your generosity. We've talked a lot about persecution. There is a church planter in Southeast Asia who we are supporting for at least a year and I believe two years, and you can read about this person's story. And there's ways that you and I today, as we go back into our lives in Fairfield County or New Haven County or whatever county you come from, that we can read about God's work around the world. And if our heart is not to learn more about God's work around the world with all people and with all nations and with all races, then, man, we're missing out on our hearts more fully aligning with the heart of God. And I would invite you to be willing to take two minutes and veer to the right to pick up one piece of paper to spend a few minutes learning about ways that you can learn more about people around the world that God cares about and about his work that is actively going on around the world. This scene in heaven reveals God's desire for all nations and all people, and that unity that is described here has been destroyed and broken because of sin. And God is redeeming that. In addition to what we see about the group of people, we see what these people are doing and how they're responding. Verses 10 through 12, this diverse, unified group is crying out with a loud voice, verse 10, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels and the creatures, and the living creatures, fell on their face and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. As they're catching a glimpse of what God has done in their story and as they're experiencing his promises fulfilled to them in this moment, what they're saying is, okay, we're, we're, we're revealing, we're giving back to God some of the truth about his attributes and just pulled directly from this verse is this next observation and this next application that says this, the God who promises... The God who has made you and me promises that we can depend upon, that we can cling to, that we can look to, is worthy of glory, honor, and thanks. He is full of wisdom. So, man, this first line reveals his attributes, his worth. Our response to that should be thanks. Then it reveals that this God, through the hymn and the worship they're giving, is full of wisdom. We've talked about this a lot, but this is so helpful sometimes to remember and to think about. The God who has made a promise to you is a God who is completely full of wisdom, so he knows what is wisest. You don't. I think I do. I do. But I don't. <laughs> 
And I think sometimes our frustration comes from, well, God, I don't know if you really can figure. He is full of wisdom. He has promised you. And you need to be able to trust that the way in which he is fulfilling his promise to you is being done through his immense wisdom where he knows the wisest thing. And the wisest thing in God's perspective may not always be the best thing and easiest thing in my perspective. And not only is he worthy and completely good, and not only is he fully wise, but Right? They're saying, the last lines, we read it, right? Worthy of power and might, <clears throat> that he is more powerful than anything you will ever face. He is more powerful than anything you will ever face. Does that mean that he stops everything that you may face all the time? No, it doesn't. But that doesn't mean he isn't powerful enough to do that, should that be in his will. What an amazing, this is the description of the snapshot of the person who has made promises to you and to me and who keeps those promises. And as they're praising him and affirming his attributes, they're doing that with thanks. Thanks. God, you're worthy. Your glory. All thanks, all praise, all blessing be to you. The response for the promises God makes to us and the moments we see God keep his promises should be a purposeful pause for you and me where we give thanks. Instead of quickly moving on to the next problem we're facing, we want him to deliver upon like a genie. When was the last time that I or that you or that we just stopped and thanked God for what he has promised to us and for the ways we have seen him fulfill his promises to us in the story and the narrative of his life. We all have things we want God to do for us, and that's fine to bring it to God. It's God wants to know what's on our heart. He already knows, but he wants this independence to come before him with problems we can't fix because it shows us who's in charge and who's not. But God also wants to do more than just be put the quarter in the thing and have the little magic genie say a thing and give you what you want. He wants us to be people who respond appropriately in thanks. When was the last time you were just spent time thanking God for a way in which he has provided for you? And even if you're going through it all right now, and it's all crumbling, there is still the sustaining power and grace of something God is doing in your life for which you can be thankful. You know, we quickly, 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 quickly forget God's kindness and his provisions to us. And we just zip through those almost as if, well, of course, God, you did it for me because I love you, so I was entitled to it, so thanks. Okay, next thing I need you to solve. Gratitude won't completely take it away, but it is an antidote to anxiety. Gratitude is an antidote to anxiety because it helps you anchor yourself back to how God has provided you in the past in your life instead of worrying about whether he will do that again in the future. But the next section, this is why the Bible is, well, this is one of the reasons why the Bible is good, because it's real. 
it's real. Like, we read the Bible, and if we really take the time to read it, it is not smoke and mirrors and fluffy, puffy rainbows and unicorns. It's the grittiness of life. And some of you don't need a Bible verse to tell you what I'm about to tell you. But God is all-powerful. God makes promises. God is all of that. But the next section shows us that just because God is all-powerful does not mean that God keeps us from facing hard things. And just because God has promised to protect us from his wrath, right, wrath being punishment for sin, just because God tells us that when we're in Jesus and we've had our sins forgiven and restored to him, we will never have to worry about his wrath again. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to face hard times in life. And, and that's what this next section tells us, verses 13 through 14. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, and this is really important, These people, right? So this diverse multitude of all races, all nations, who are in heaven, in the presence of God, experiencing what they're experiencing, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Okay. So what that means is that these are Christians who we've read about, who died during the period of the tribulation. These are Christians who died during the tribulation, either because they were martyred during the tribulation or because they died of natural causes, which means that there will be Christians who are alive during the tribulation. You cannot die as a Christian. Just let's think about this for a second. Don't you like the? I watch sometimes myself on the tape. Whatever I try to make, I won't ruin it. Never mind. I've noticed a few of my mannerisms, so I'm going to try and shift those. Okay, ready? These are people who are Christians who have died during the tribulation. So that means that there are Christians who are alive during the tribulation because you cannot be a Christian who has died during the tribulation if you were not alive during the tribulation. You cannot be a Christian who died during the tribulation if you were not alive during the tribulation. If you can figure that out, write a book and start a YouTube channel. You can't. Now, the question then becomes this, and this kind of follows back to something we've talked about when in Revelation 3, we talk, after that, we spent two weeks, is there raptures or not? So how, did these, so how are these Christians alive and on earth going through the tribulation? Well, there's two different options for that, right? One option is if there is a rapture. So option one is if there's a period of time where God removes Christians from the earth before the tribulation, then these would be people who responded to the gospel and converted after all those Christians are gone. So these might be people who didn't believe in Jesus. If there is a rapture, then these are people who are like, whoa, everything that Left Behind movie I saw with Nick Cage is actually true. Maybe they're right. I'm going to become a Christian. So maybe these people converted after the rapture, and then they were the ones who died of natural causes or were martyred. The second option is if there is not a rapture. And if you're curious, you know, we talked about how, yeah, tough call. If there's not a rapture, then these would be Christians who either entered the tribulation because they weren't raptured because there wasn't a rapture, or these would also be converts during the tribulation. So these are the two different options about how those people got there. But regardless of how they got there, 
and the mechanics were worked out. Uh, we see that followers of God died during the tribulation, and later what we're going to see is that followers of God are actually martyred during the tribulation. They never experienced the wrath of God, but they experienced unfair treatment from other people. Never experienced the wrath of God, but they experienced hard times, and they experienced death, and some of them are going to experience being killed by people who are opposed to God. And from that, as we think a lot about this promise that these people are protected from God's wrath, protection from God's wrath is not immunity from pain that they may still face by living in a broken world occupied by broken and sinful people. Protection from God's wrath is not absolute immunity from being fully protected from any hardship that may come. God's promise, next point, next application, God's promise to protect us from his wrath. And if you're a Christian, if you've responded in faith to what Jesus did as a substitute from you, you will never, ever, ever experience the wrath of God. Never. But you don't need a preacher to tell you this because you know this in your own story. That doesn't mean that God's going to protect you and protect us from any and all harm. However, and this part's really important, facing harm and difficulty does not void God's promise to never leave us nor forsake us, nor does it void his promise to shield us from his wrath. God's promise to protect us from his wrath does not protect us from any and all harm. However, facing harm and difficulty does not void God's promise to never leave us nor forsake us, nor does it void his promise to shield us from his wrath. And that's really, really important because you know why? You and I can believe lies. You and I in our lives, our circumstances can lie to us. And and here are some of the lies that you and I can believe, that preachers may wrongly tell you. One lie could be that God will never let bad things happen to us. A lot of us, if we believe that lie, don't we, we realize it's a lie now. But again, some of us, we're we're told, come to Jesus if you want all your burdens lifted. Come to Jesus if you want to know rest. And that's just not what Jesus ever offered. He offered rest spiritually, right? He does offer to carry our burdens, but that doesn't mean he's never going to keep us from burdens. And, And then the next lie that we progress through, and I don't have a slide, I probably should have done this, is this. If bad things happen to us, then that means God isn't trustworthy. Well, if bad things happen to us, then I can't really trust God because he's not really on my side. First lie, God will never let bad things happen to us. Next one is if bad things happen to us, God is not trustworthy. Here's the next lie. You ready for this one? God is mad at us, and so that's why these bad things are happening to us. Now, there are times when you and I make really, really bad choices as Christians. And one of the ways that in that moment a loving father seeks to restore us is by letting us face the full consequences of our decisions. And to steal the phrase from Andy Stanley, he's not doing that to pay you back. He's doing that to bring you back, to bring you back, right? But, 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 but what sometimes us think is, well, but, but that doesn't mean that everything in life that happens to us is hard is a direct result of a bad choice. We are in a broken world where terrible tragedies happen just because the world is broken. 
And just because you may go through something that's difficult does not necessarily mean that God is mad at you. But what happens when we believe this lie, that God is mad at me and so bad things are happening, one of two things happen, right? Either A, well, we check out of God. If he's mad at us, I've tried hard. I've gone to church. I've been a good Christian. Forget it. It's not worth it. I'm done. Or we think to ourselves, oh, my goodness, God's mad at me. I have to work really, really hard now to be really, really good to make him happy at me again. And so the next morning you wake up and you read your Bible for four hours. But it's true. Okay, maybe not four. Maybe you guys read the Bible for four minutes. But you do it because you're like, okay, this is happening because God's mad at me. If I can get God not to be mad at me, then this will all change. So I'm going to try to perform really hard to make God not mad at me. Well, it's maybe not happening anyway because it's not happening because God's mad at you. It's happening because we're living in a broken, broken, broken world where the impact of sin is like a hand grenade going off on a minivan and nobody's spared from it. We're all impacted by the shrapnel of sin. And the next lie is this, and this is a really hard one. Maybe I'm just the only one who's believed all these lies. Maybe this is self-therapy for the past three minutes. This is the lie that some of us think, that our circumstances are the best indicator of God's love for us and our promises to us. That, okay, God made me promises, but I'm going to look at my circumstances to determine whether I can trust those and whether he loves me. And when we don't get this right, and we don't get this right, it's easier for us to fall into a pattern of lies that get us all upside down when we think about God. Have you ever believed any of those lies? Have you ever believed any of those lies? The enemy, Satan, his name is deceiver. What does a deceiver do? He lies. And many times we bring static into our own relationship with God because we're buying into lies that are so far from the heart of a loving God. Those are lies. This is the truth. The truth from Revelation is that God's promises to protect us from his wrath does not protect us from any and all harm. However, facing harm and difficulty does not void God's promises to never leave us nor forsake us nor to shield us from his wrath nor any other promise that he have made have made to us and we end the text and we end this scene with just this one last snapshot that brings such hope and encouragement this is the picture of the promise of God that's fully fulfilled we are now at the last 30 seconds of the movie to see how the story ends God has brought us there to try to bring hope and this is a picture when all of God's promises are completely and finally fulfilled to these people that he protected from the wrath who are in his presence this is what they're experiencing They are before the throne of God, verses 15 through 17. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, no thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. This is the picture of what God's promise fulfilled looks like. And look at what is in store for you and me if we believe in Jesus when the story is finally fulfilled. Here, flip up here with the next slide with these promises. Here it is, right? They are, this is what they're experiencing. They're in God's physical presence, the text says, before the throne of God. They are protected by God from any future harm. There's no more hardship. Next thing that they're experiencing is this. 
that Jesus will personally and physically shepherd, guide them, and refresh them. And they will never know sadness again. The end of the story, when it's all fulfilled, is that the hope and the confidence we can have of the picture of what that promise looks like is that you and I will physically be in the presence of God, that you and I on that day will be protected from any future harm, that we will not experience any more hardships, that Jesus will physically, presently, in front of us by sight and not just by faith, will guide, refresh, and shepherd us, and you will never, ever, ever, ever know sadness again. That'll be pretty cool. Because I think we know way too much sadness. And we live in a world that's not going to get any happier. It's not going to get happier. The trajectory is not an upward one until this day. I'm just telling you, if you want to know where you are in the roller coaster... The roller coaster goes down in the story of human history and biblical history, but then it goes back up to this. But it doesn't get better until Jesus makes it all better, and it's, it's probably not going to get a lot happier globally. The sadness is going to keep increasing, but one day, one day, you will never, ever, ever be sad again. That's cool. That's cool. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here now, and the text reveals to us this really interesting uh, reality that enables these people to benefit from the promises to be shielded from wrath, and that can enable and enables you and me to experience this, this next thing. Um, the next ver- verse, 14, I think we have a slide with Revelation 7, 14. Just keep this up here for more second, if you don't mind, blow. Put, put the slide for Revelation 17, uh, 7, 14 up here, if you don't mind. Here's what it said. I've said to him, sir, right, who are these people? And he said, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then the very next word that moves into all the things that say their experiences is the word, therefore. Therefore. Right? The reason that these people and that you and I have the hope of experiencing all of these things is directly linked back to this. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Symbolic language that's taking back to these people are experiencing all the things that are described in the rest of the chapter because they have responded to what Jesus has done on the cross. Because they have realized and responded to the fact that the thing that removes the guilt and the penalty of sin from them is not their good works, but Jesus' death as their substitute on their behalf. That Jesus' death as a substitute and his blood, which was him taking the wrath of God. That's the story. The story is you will never, or you have hope of never experiencing the wrath of God because somebody took all of that for you. Somebody was willing to say, God, there is sin in that person's life. They have run from you. They have rebelled from you. They deserve punishment even though you love them because sin is bad and you're holy and just. But Father, 
because I love them and you love them so much, I don't want them to experience a shred of your wrath. And what Jesus did and said was this, bring it all on me. Bring the full weight of your wrath and your punishment for what they did. I'll take it all. I'll take it all so that they never have to experience any of it. That's powerful. And somebody was willing to do that for you because they loved you so much. And how you choose to respond to that love that they did for you determines whether you will experience all of this or not. And so today, we have an amazing opportunity for those of us who have responded in faith to what Jesus has done for us to cling to that and to remind ourselves of that and to be thankful for that and to be hopeful and joyful and free because of that. And we're going to do that by celebrating the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that by celebrating this this. this, this pattern, this practice, I'll invite the elders who are helping participate in this to come forward, that Jesus instituted to help us remember and to think about what he's done. And if you're a believer of Jesus this morning, then we will invite you to come forward and to receive from the elders a packet of elements to remind yourself that you're not guilty anymore, to remind yourself of the immense love and mercy of Jesus and to pierce through for just one moment all the static and the misplaced priorities of our lives and for a few moments just come back to what Jesus did for at the cross and just say, thank you. Thank you. And to remind yourself of some hope to allow you to take that next step tomorrow. If you're a believer, then what I'm going to invite you to do is the worship team's going to come up and sing a song. And when you're ready and as you're ready, you can take some time to reflect in your seats, but come forward and receive some elements. And then once we all have it, I'll come back up and I will then walk us through. And together as a community, as a body, we'll take the elements together. If you're not a believer in Jesus, then I would just encourage you in this moment to think about if the story of the Bible is true. And if there's sin in your life, then what? And if God is a God who punishes sin, and if the most amazing reality for you to make you fully fulfilled is to be in a relationship with the person who adores you the most, what are you looking to to try to work your way into that relationship? Because what, the, the, what this says is that's never, ever going to be good enough when someone has freely done everything for you. And it's not about how good you can be or how nice you can be. It's about how good he's already been to you. At the end of our service, we're going to have some folks in the prayer corner. You can come up and talk to one of these elders if you're in a process on your journey of faith and you just want to know more about what a Christian believes, what that means. We'd love for you to come forward. But now for those of us who have responded to the immense mercy of Jesus in our lives, we have an amazing opportunity to celebrate as a community through communion. And I'm grateful to be able to worship with you now in this.